Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner technology. And today I'm speaking with Matt Gillis. Uh, he's the head of Neota Logic. Give us an, over, uh, an overview of what you do. I can see that you uh, did quite a bit, but um, I can't describe it as well as yeah. you could. My, my pleasure. Um, so Neota Logic is a tools based platform for building artificial intelligence applications for self service compliance. Think TurboTax. Everything that TurboTax can do, our platform can do. So it has multiple AI engines and algorithms, uh, what we call a hybrid reasoning engine, that can create question flows and interpret very complex rules bases along with workflow and document automation. So just like TurboTax asks you very simple questions, did you get married, do you own or rent your home, and then the back end of the system interprets the tax code, uh, we do very similar things with any rules base and ultimately can produce an answer, a document, and output to a database. Okay, you, you, know, you say you can work with anything that's rules-based, but I would bet that there's um, some core competencies. So what, what would be the, um, the areas where Neotologic's tools work best or have been used the most? Yeah, it, it really does run a wide range, it, primarily in compliance. So we've done quite a bit of work and actually have a joint venture with Mendes Mendelssohn in the compliance space. I'm sorry, in the employment law space called Compliance HR. We've done quite a bit of work in, of in international trade, including a partnership with Foley and Lardner, uh, which is called Global Risk Solutions, a business they created using our technology as the backbone to provide Foreign Corrupt Practices Act training, advice, and policy. Um, a data we've worked in the data privacy space uh, with Ackerman LLP and are the backbone of the Ackerman Data Law Center from a technology perspective, which is a data privacy, data breach advisory application um, we automate contracts you know, from things as simple as a non-disclosure agreement that are fact-driven to complex purchase and sales agreements, allowing business end users to provide factual inputs as if they were talking to their lawyer without having to take up a lawyer's time and then produce a document narrowly tailored to the specific purposes that business person has. So, okay, so an example, let's say I want to... Um establish an agreement, um, a contract employment agreement. Um, I guess the, the behavior in the past is people would um, <clears throat> go to an attorney and have them draft the agreement. But you're saying your engine can help someone that um, isn't a lawyer themselves get most of the agreement together in a form where it would be, it would be perhaps suitable to use, you know, then just have a lawyer look at it at the last, at the end to make sure it's right. Yeah, we don't do it in a B2C context, but we, we, you know, in the example you just posed, we have actually worked in that space. We worked with a corporate uh, legal department and their HR department to determine the questions they would normally ask of the hiring, uh, the, the uh, hiring manager um, to derive, you know, what's the jurisdiction, what business unit are you in, what's the role of this person, uh, including, you know, more nuanced decisions like, okay, based on the role and the access to information this person will have, how restrictive do the covenants need to be? 
how long would you have as a non-compete and non-disclosure, uh, and then craft clauses that are the clauses the lawyer would, would craft um, to match the fact pattern of that role and the responsibilities of the person they're trying to hire. Wow, okay. And the end result, though, would be that an attorney still would do a final review, or is this sufficient enough uh, to be used? Be. It could be. We've done it both ways. And, and something like a non-disclosure agreement where there really isn't a lot of value in having an attorney look at it, and it often creates friction for the corporate legal department in terms of delays and getting the conversation started. But an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, is really just an insurance policy that if something uh, is, is divulged that shouldn't have been, you have recourse, and it allows you to have a confidential conversation about some business purpose. But there's no real value to it beyond that, right? There's no magic to having a, a non-disclosure agreement. And it is fact-driven. You know, the, your jurisdiction will be driven by what business unit you're in and the location of that business unit. You know, there are some inputs for who is the counterpart to the transaction, what's their, um, their legal entity's name. Uh, and then you, you, know, you would drive how uh, restrictive the covenants need to be and the length, uh, you know, the duration of the non-disclosure period based on fact inputs, all of that can be done without a lawyer using our system and cut the timing. We've had clients cut the timing from an average cycle time of two and a half weeks. You know, I did this as a practicing attorney in-house. The most junior people often get this role and it's not their top priority or anybody else's. So when a request is made, days can go by, somebody needs to remind the lawyer to produce the NDA, then they go find the right one in their document repository, send it to the business person, that starts the process. That can take two and a half weeks. And we've had clients go from a length of two to three weeks to four hours where a marketing person can say, here's what I'm trying to do and answer some questions online, mm. produce the non-disclosure agreement, automatically send it through our systems workflow out to the counterparty, have the counterparty sign it using electronic signature uh, capabilities in DocuSign and right. send it back directly to the document, to the uh, originator who then countersigns and it goes automatically into their document repository. So nobody actually needs to touch a piece of paper uh, and the lawyer never sees it because they, they're relying on the system's logic to generate the correct agreement based on the factual inputs. Wow. Do you run into um, an issue of because this agreement was created, you know, not by an attorney that it, it, it's practicing law? Are there any other um, no, problems with this? Um, no, because it, it was created by an attorney. Original, the original document would be created by an attorney, and then those clauses are being selected based on fact inputs. The, the only difference is the attorney is not, uh, and if you think about that non-disclosure agreement scenario, the attorney's not just getting that information. Often they're getting in an email from the business person and say, oh, here's who the counterparty is. Here's what I think the legal entity name is. Here's my business unit. You know, that might be derived from the uh, uh, you know, back office systems that, that would generate that information. Say, here's where this person is located and what jurisdiction we would use uh, for that business unit, the legal entity uh, information for the originator. Okay. And all of those questions are wrote. But the attorney's not really adding value there. They're just intaking information and then typing it into a form. The system can do that just as well. Um, and the form is the NDA form that the corporate lawyer would have generated herself. Gotcha. Okay. And you said you're using uh, artificial intelligence to do it. What can you describe of the system that, um, that helps people create documents like these? How does it work? You know, does it use... 
natural language processing? You know, what can you tell me about it? Yeah, we don't. We're more on the cognitive technologies or, or you know, the old term is expert systems, um, digital uh, assistance type of, of end of the, uh, of the AI spectrum. So our, our hybrid reasoning engine uses uh, decision trees, decision tables, um, if-then statements that become increasingly complex as you nest them. We have calculators that can be very complex and transparent to the user, taking fact inputs and then running uh, through an Excel spreadsheet on the back end program to do whatever you want it to do, and calculate whatever you need to calculate, as well as uh, what we call weighted factors, which are a way to quantify what would otherwise be a qualitative risk assessment. So an attorney or another compliance professional would weight certain factual inputs against one another and develop a risk profile for a specific activity or transaction. So all of those are indwelling in our tool and we are an open API environment. So we interface with things like Wolfram Cloud if you're trying to do really complex financial modeling with uh, a variety of big data engines, uh, including things like uh, Alchemy API, which is now part of uh, IBM's Watson and natural language processing technologies. We've partnered with most of them, you know, including uh, an exemplary, not an exhaustive list, Raven, Kira, KM standards to do various pieces of natural language processing in comparison of, of, of text elements, uh, ex you know, extracting text elements so that we can do a risk analysis and create a playbook for further review. Okay, makes sense. Have um, <clears throat> any of the agreements um, put together by these systems has been tested in court, and what's been the outcome? Uh, no, they haven't been, but I, I doubt that they would be really. I mean, it, for a non-disclosure agreement, it's, there's no, um, it's no different than you know, the, the use of, of artificial intelligence to generate the document is irrelevant, right? It, the contract is the contract at the end of the day, and it came from somebody, you know, somebody emailed it to you. The fact that we're in the middle of it and generating those clauses is really no different than a lawyer pulling it out of a document repository and, uh, and updating a document to reflect the specific facts. Okay, makes sense. Um, what other applications besides non-disclosure agreements? Any other specific use cases that you, you know, are utilized quite a bit by your system? Yeah, uh, so I, I mentioned Compliance HR, which is a joint venture we have with Littler Mendelssohn. Um, they now have, I think, 10 or 12 applications and growing, uh, ranging from very complex 50-state uh, analysis and federal law analysis of independent contractor status versus um, being an employee, right? So, uh, and you know, they've done a, a similarly complex uh, application for determining overtime exemption eligibility uh, versus you know, being you know, being an exempt employee or having to pay an employee overtime as well as a calculator that allows an employer to determine the, the um, economic impact of classifying somebody one way or the other mm -hmm. um, so and and then getting down to things like is a person eligible for family medical leave act or other acts that are uh, you know, other leave that is more uh, discreet and is a you know less complex uh, fact analysis and the common thread between all of those things is, in an individual instance, uh, a relatively junior level HR person may be making that determination, uh, and the unit risk, if you will, is low, right? You know, if you make if you make a determination on one person that they should be eligible for, you know, or they deny their eligibility for FMLA, and later find out that uh, that they should have been allowed, or 
misclassifying an employee as an independent contractor versus a, an employee. And the individual risk and cost of doing that is relatively low. You're not going to hire a lawyer at however many hundreds, uh, hundreds of dollars an hour to advise the HR person on that decision. Right. But in the aggregate, if you're Uber and you misclassify all of your drivers as independent contractors when they're employees, you have a massive class action on your hand. Um, right. And that, so it really is a more cost-effective way to mitigate those risks uh, versus the traditional models that, that really aren't effective or, or cost-effective uh, to provide advice to that person who's making the decision day in and day out. Okay, it's because um, of decision fatigue, because of human error, all those factors. Yeah, I mean, if you think about how how those those problems are generally solved, it's through training, it's through manuals that may or may not get referenced at the appropriate time, mm-hmm. um, and it's spotty, right? You take a lot of that risk out of that system by making it, um, and then giving the expertise and judgment of a far more expert person to a more junior person right. you know, by automating that expertise. You know, some other examples are, um, you know, I mentioned the data privacy, data breach application we built with Ackerman. Um, that's a, the black letter law common law and has an interesting wrinkle where they actually engaged legal managed services from Thomson Reuters to do the primary research and the monthly updates. Uh, and then we pull that yeah. updated research out of a database and update our rules every month. Oh, so wow. you have a, a living, breathing 50 state survey that's really useful. And if you think of the context of a data breach, you need to answer a couple of questions very quickly if you're the GC or chief compliance officer. Did I have a data breach? Right, which is a fact determination. Is that data breach reportable? And there are dozens of factors to determine whether it's uh, reportable that are fact specific. But take one example. If your data was encrypted in many states, it used to be all, but now it's many, um, you, that acts as a, um, an exemption to having a reporting requirement. Yeah. But you want to answer all of the questions and determine based on the states from which I have people's information and the nature of that information, is it personally identifiable information, is it health information, um, I want to know, do I need to report, um, do I need to report that information, um, and, uh, and if so, to whom and in what format, and our system can do all of those things. You know, we've worked in the education space around distance learning uh, compliance requirements, which is a, a highly complex area of the law and okay. very fact-specific based on how are we trying to offer distance learning with a lot of strange exemptions like, okay, you might be covered by this consortium if you're in it and not have to apply for um, uh, what's called authorization for states that are not your home state. But then there are dozens of exceptions to that. If you send more than a certain number of students uh, on site for uh, you know, an, an experiential learning um, component of the course, and that's required to get credit for the course, if you have an on-site proctor, if you have a physical location, and that list goes on and on and on. So it, it, we get deployed in places where the advice is routinized enough that people are often not calling on a professional and not willing to pay the dollars right. uh, for, to a professional. Um, so the benefit is really on both sides, right? The end user gets the right advice in a timely fashion, and it's on demand, right? It's available 24-7, 365 That's in the automated system at scale. Right? Hundreds of people can access the device simultaneously. That's right. not true when you have to call a lawyer. 
um, the lawyer gets the benefit of they're getting this business, right? If they put their advice into a system that, you know, that they would often write off as a five minute phone call if they the call at all. Um, and, uh, and, and it's giving, you know, it's giving a broader spectrum of people access to good advice at the right price. Have you considered um, rolling out your expert systems in other areas of law, you know, family law, uh, criminal law, that kind of thing? You have to look at fact uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, and, I, and uh, we've done some work in the family law space. We've had clients that have built divorce advice applications and are working with other clients on those as we speak. Um, not so much in the criminal area, a lot of work in the pro bono area. Um, access to um, resources for veterans, access to um, resources for uh, indigent clients uh, across states. We've been working in New Mexico, are working on a system for Florida that does that. Um, we've done a variety of work in the in the low bono space as well. So um, access to advice around what type of business should I form in uh, the state of Tennessee through the uh, National Chamber of Commerce. And that, that list goes on and on. We've done a, um, a lot of work with universities, uh, most notably with Georgetown, where we started the Iron Tech competition four years ago, okay. and, and teaching students how to use our system and to build um, uh, public interest uh, applications. So, at, what, what you know, using an iPhone, what locations around me have handicap accessibilities? You know, what public application? So what, you know, it's compliance to ADA, but very useful to somebody who is uh, handicapped or has some physical limitation to be able to see where she can go and have lunch. So we've done a, a variety of projects in those spaces as well, um, and have recently completed a pilot with the state of Delaware um, through a partner um, for access to food stamps. Uh, food stamps require a 48-hour turnaround on eligibility for pretty obvious reasons, right? If you need food stamps, you're in dire, dire straits. Uh, and Delaware was having a hard time meeting that in some of their offices because of the volume. Right. So we, we uh, armed their, um, the, we armed triage people um, who would go out into the lobby of the local offices and ask a series of questions to triage people to the right officer to make a determination uh, and brought them within comp compliance on a pilot. And now we're looking to expand that statewide. Oh, very interesting. Hmm. So, yeah, so it really is anything that's rules-based. Um, it lends itself to automation if an expert will put the, the uh, expertise into our system. Yeah, and it sounds like even, especially within the, you know, the legal world, as things get more complicated and regulations proliferate, it's necessary to have these expert systems to really you know, keep yourself in compliance and, uh, and utilize the, the law in the way you need it. Yeah, no question. And you know, even in in house, we've done work with uh, technology companies around conflict of interest policies. So if you think of large technology companies, tens of thousands of employees, all of whom are are actively encouraged to work outside the company. You know, they're given uh, in kind contributions in terms of time and uh, you know, dollar awards to go work on side projects. Well, that inherently creates potential conflicts of interest. And, you, and we worked with one client who had you know, something like 75% of their junior level HR people's or compliance people's time were spent answering the same question around conflicts of interest. That's mm -hmm. the type of thing that should be automated. Right. That makes sense. Any, you know, any advice that a law firm or an in-house counsel has reduced to a 50-state survey, 50-state surveys are inherently stale the moment they're published. 
Um, and not particularly useful if you have a 500-page PDF to find the answer that you need that fits your fact pattern. Right. There's a lot of interpretation required uh, you know, against that knowledge base. We can make that knowledge base not just a knowledge base, but an answer base. You, know, you give us the facts, we'll actually tell you what you need to do in that situation. Or if it's unclear, you now have the perfect interview and the, and the perfect data intake for a lawyer or another compliance professional um, depending on the on the sphere to interpret uh, your, your results and not have to have that lengthy interview with you on the front end. Do you think that um, your work will lead to a standardization of, um, let's say, intake forms for a particular area of law? Could it lead to that? Would you want it? Would you want it to lead to that? I don't think it will. I think it's more, uh, I would almost turn that on its head. Where things have been reduced to a standard form, we can match up, uh, we can provide a conduit for the facts to uh, be interpreted in light of that standard form. Hmm. Okay. And what size, um, you know, you talk a lot about law firms you work with, what size firm or company would be, um, you know, big enough to use your service where it's it's viable? Um, it, there's not a specific size. We've worked with everything from boutiques who have deep expertise in an area of the law up to the very largest law firms in the world. Okay. So maybe you know, perhaps a solo practitioner, but you know, um, any firm of size, even small size, would be eligible to use your technology. Yeah, it's more about practice areas than it is about size. It's more about are you practicing in an area where um, you're going to benefit from uh, automating your advice and having a, a, a greater reach to your customers and being able to create a, a recurring revenue stream that's subscription-based mm -hmm. if you want. And we work with firms of varying sizes. We work with a, 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 a startup tax firm in um, Canada that wanted to provide advice on, a, on particular areas of the Canadian tax code uh, in an on-demand fashion to their clients, right? And we've worked with the largest law firms in the world who want to build, you know, uh, internal applications that are efficiency applications to take over routinized tasks like onboarding of new employees uh, right. and, um, you know, routing work, you know, from, uh, from person to person uh, that is routinized work. Uh, and then we've had mid-sized mid firms who have created entire businesses using our platform um, because they saw the they saw a need for their clients and a way to to reach the market that they had that couldn't they could not reach economically in a traditional model. All right. Um, I know you probably can't speak to specific cases, and it, it depends. But what kind of ROIs have uh, your clients achieved because of this? Um, the, the ROI is, um, it's easy to calculate in something like a non-disclosure agreement, right, where they're seeing a 400% return on investment just doing the simple math of if you spend two and a half hours uh, on each NDA and your, uh, your, your internal cost is $200 an hour for that lawyer, right. um, if you can cut the, the, the cycle times down across 1,000 NDAs, um, you're going to, if you spend $100,000, you're going to save 300000 So right. that's a pretty simple and direct ROI calculation. Um, the ROI calculation for you know, things like the Ackerman Data Law Center or Foley and Lardner's GRS, 
are both the um, it, there's a component where they're gaining new hourly customers, mm -hmm. uh, and I've had you know, to a person when we have engagements like that, the lawyers come back and say, whether or not someone subscribes to this particular service, I never don't get a meeting. I had someone uh, recently tell me uh, from from Ackerman that he, he said, if I could bat more than a thousand, I'd be batting more than a thousand. He said because I'm now getting calls where people want to meet with us because they read about this. Um, without me having to call for the meeting. So he said, I'm doing better than a thousand because now I'm getting inbound BD well, requests, which really doesn't happen in law firms very often. So yeah. it's hard to quantify that as an ROI because it's not directly linked to the use of the service, but it acts as a business uh, development generator for the firms who, who have used us uh, you know, to that scale. Um, That's great. The ROI for, for other tasks is really dependent on what the task is, right? So if you replace an entirely manual process, then you have to calculate what are the people who are engaged in that process uh, and how many hours are they saving that can be redeployed on other tasks. So that's the that's the NDA example, right? But it's whatever task you're replacing, you just have to put in the hourly rate and the number of hours solved. So it's, uh, it's not, um, it's straightforward in those instances where you're talking about document automation or process automation, a little less so, uh, but actually more valuable when you're talking about um, augmenting a, uh, a traditional practice with a, an on-demand version of that practice, both from a subscription revenue stream uh, and, and acquisition of new clients. Where do you see, um, what's next for your projects? Where do you see your, um, your work going next? What major areas? Yeah, so I, I see us moving into other segments uh, like we did with Compliance HR. You know, we're investigating, uh, making a bigger play in higher education and areas like healthcare, where we see uh, you know, a large unmet client need that, that has that same profile as employment law. Right now, you know, the individual decisions are, are not being run by a compliance professional or a lawyer because it's not cost effective, but there's a need and there's real risk in making those decisions poorly. Uh, we're also looking at expanding our document automation capabilities and creating more template applications like non-disclosure agreements for use by corporate counsel. Okay, gotcha. And it seems like artificial intelligence is a buzzword that's you know that's going around. Everyone seems to be in love with systems like that, but yet it seems like expert systems that you've created, you know, definitely uh, work very well. Where do you see things going for you, for yourself? Do you see yourself going towards more artificial intelligence systems or sticking with more of an expert systems, you know, question-based approach? Yeah, I, I, I think we'll stick with uh, more towards the expert system side. I guess I would dispute whether that's, I mean, I, I was reading uh, something my colleague Ryan McLeod published today, you know, really railing against the hype uh, of AI um, in that, you know, anything that seems futuristic, people will label as artificial intelligence. Anything that becomes more routine and well-known, like our system, isn't. Even though it, we would say it is, we use a hybrid reasoning engine and it's algorithm-based, right? Um, not heuristic. So it's, um, you know, you can quibble about what is and is not AI. Um, from our perspective, because we're an open architecture, we're complementary to what I would characterize as probabilistic technologies. Uh, and what people tend to think of as AI, meaning you know, it's a big data you know, predictive analytics engine, it's data visualization software, it's 
um, you know, something like Wolfram Cloud, where you can leverage the power of that system to do really complex financial uh, modeling. Um, it, you know, all of those are inputs for a system like ours. So we're not really limited by by the the technology, and we've perfected the that core technology that is more on the expert system side, uh, with the ability through open APIs to pull in the power of those other systems. Very good. And um, last question is for companies that you know heard this podcast and they're looking to talk to you about Neurologic Services. What's the best way for them to get in touch? Um, they can come into our website uh, and go to the contact page and they'll find uh, my number and the number of our other business development people. Or you can fill in a form on the website after doing, uh, doing some research um, and we'll get that form and reach out to you for a demonstration. All right, anything else um, I should have asked you that you want to highlight that we missed? Um, no, I think, we, I think we covered it. I mean, the one point that I would reiterate is uh, ultimately the promise uh, you know, of the, these technologies and, and what drives us as much as anything is the ability to create access to better advice, more high-quality advice at a reasonable price to a broader number of people. Right. So there's an access to justice component to this that I think is really important and often gets missed. Uh, and the other thing that I think gets buried is these systems are excellent training tools for more junior people because it not only gives you the answer, it tells you how you got to the answer. Um, you can actually see the logic trees on how uh, you know, the most senior people and the most expert people think through a problem to arrive at the right answer. And that's a hugely valuable training tool um, in environments where, where training is often lacking. Makes sense. Okay. Well, very good. Well, this has been a, a great interview, very informative, and uh, yeah, I appreciate your time. My great pleasure. Thanks for thinking of us. You. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.